Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'm burned out. I tell them I'm not like the rest. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. I am your host, Kenzie Elizabeth. It is quite literally 3 a.m. as I am recording this intro. But I hope you guys are having the best morning. I wanted to go and re-record this intro tonight because one... I just have not had coffee this week up until tonight. And I have come to realize that that is just not, it's not the lifestyle for me, nor is it, it's just not my journey. It's not my, it's not what I want for myself, you know? So anyways, I needed to record this intro. Let you guys know we have Trey Lewis on the show this week. I love Trey. I love all of his friends. We had the best time. The recording is when we like literally, quite literally just met. Um, I went to one of their shows. It was so much fun. Dom is here. Okay, guys, Dom is here to let you guys know. It was genuinely a legendary time. I don't even know. It felt electric. Like, that's the only way to describe the feelings that I felt. Like, Trey, such a genuine, incredible person. His All his friends, everyone, their whole team, like, incredible. And the show was genuinely electric. Like I'm at a loss for words right now because I'm still just taking in tonight. I don't think I have laughed that hard in so long. We just got to hang out with them and they were literally the funniest people in the entire world. Picture Dom, one of our other best friends, Presley and I at some private SMU frat event. And that's where we were tonight. And we had the absolute time of our lives. So anyways, it was such a good night. This episode is really great. Trey is a very multifaceted man, okay? We talk about, you know, the song Dick Down in Dallas. If you guys are unaware, Trey is a country artist. The song Dick Down in Dallas, it went viral on TikTok last year. It's massive, like literally absolutely massive. And within my friend group, it's just been a big thing. Everyone sings it. We've had multiple, we've had like group chats named it, whatever. We had a, you know, a resurgence a few weekends ago. We went to Austin. So I posted that on my story literally a week ago and then Trey replied. And long story short, we recorded today and went to a show today. So a lot can happen any week. Anyways, it was so much fun. We're talking everything from like mental health to Dick Down in Dallas to not giving up on your dreams. Honestly, it's a really really interesting episode because Trey has lived like 15 lives already. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Also, something I will say is send this to a guy 
who like isn't in touch with their emotions. I came back today and I was talking to Dom and I was like, I don't think I've ever met a man who is so in touch with their emotions. It just doesn't happen. It never happens. And I think when you meet someone, especially a man who is in touch with their emotions, rare breed, wife them, ladies. Really rare breed. But anyways, I just thought it was really helpful. It's really good. We're talking about like addiction, AA, recovery, music, life, divorce. I mean, so many different things you guys are really going to enjoy. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Actually, before we do that, don't forget to join the Geneva group chat if you guys need friends. Join the group chat, follow us on Instagram. If you guys want to watch, you guys can always watch these episodes on YouTube. Every episode that we like release is also on YouTube. If you're more of like a visual sort of person, I get that. Send this episode to a friend, screenshot it, post it on your story. Okay. Anyways, now without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. We are sitting like so far across from each other at this table. It's all good. You can't tell on video, but we are. Um, Today, we're covering lots of things. He came in and I was like, okay, we're going to talk dick down in Dallas and mental health. It just like sounds funny because they're so just like almost like polarizing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was uh, it's funny. I was just talking to a friend on the way over here and uh, he was asking me about like, what happened, you know, when like the song came out, if I saw, he was like, I heard you turned all the labels down and all this stuff. And anyways, we were just talking about it. And he was just like, he was like, well, I hate the song, but he's like real religious. And he was like, but I love you. And he was like, I just want what's best for you and all this stuff. You know, I just feel like for me with my story, it's really cool because here you have this song that's, you know, explicit and all this stuff. And it's funny, and it is definitely part of my personality, like, you know, how I met some of the, one of the songwriters, which is now my roommate, is like, I was in a bar playing cover songs, changing the words to Big Green Tractor to take you for a ride on my big tally whacker. So like, <laughs> like, that is definitely part of my personality and so much of who I am. But like, the cool thing about it is, is that I am 14 years sober, you know? Yeah. It shows all those people that I got sober with and people that have known me throughout the years. I worked in drug and alcohol treatment center for seven years. I'm very heavily involved in my recovery, other people's recovery. So in that community, a lot of people knew me, you know, and it just goes to show that like, if you never give up, you don't have to be like a prude or like, you know, to be sober or, you know, to be healthy, you know, be healthy in your, you know, mentals, you know, you don't have to be like this saint and like this holy roller. Not that I'm against that, you know, I believe in, you know, Jesus and all that stuff. But like, it just goes to show that like, you don't have to like follow any certain path, you know? Yeah. And I think that it speaks volumes for, you know, it's like, okay, well, I can do whatever I want. You know, it's like, these things don't have to handicap me. And that's kind of like the message that, you know, that I try to carry, you know? We talk about that all the time on the show. It's the concept of like both and like you don't have to be either or. I think there's so much pressure that you're supposed to like almost niche down to this one mold that like society puts on you. Like you either have to be like super religious and super or super like prude and quotes, like whatever it is, or like more vulgar, whatever it is. It doesn't mean that like we, I have this thing where I say like breadwinning housewife is a joke, but really yeah. honestly, the concept is similar. It's like, 
you can be all of it or you can be none of it. It's like completely up to you, but you don't have to fit someone else's mold of what they expect you to be. Yeah. So I think it's cool. Yeah. Let's go back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was like your family dynamic? Well, I grew up in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. So when I was three, my parents got a divorce. My mom and dad did. Um, So like, I don't ever remember them being married or anything like that. But from then on to about age 13, my mom remarried right after that. A guy named Seth, and he was my stepdad up until I was, you know, 13. I mean, he always remained a part of my life. But my childhood was my stepdad and my dad were like coaching my, you know, my football team. Like one coached the offense, one coached the defense. Like looking back, I always remember having a dad at home and a dad that I went to his house on the weekend. So it's like kind of this like co-parenting thing going on. You know, that was my normal, you know, looking back, it's kind of weird, you know. No, that's (laughs) healthy. uh, That's good. Yeah, it was kind of good. And then one day my mom checked me and my sister out of school and she was just like, me and Seth aren't getting along. We're moving out tomorrow. So. How old were you? 13. Okay. Or 12 12 or 13. How do you feel like that's affected you? I don't think it affects me anymore, but it did affect me then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Me and my mom are super close and, and. One thing that I've learned to deal with is that stuff and, and, you know, my past. And the biggest thing for me was realizing that your parents are people too, you know, and they do the best that they can. Um, so I don't like holding any grudges or anything there anymore, I don't think. I just started in, with a new therapist two days ago, and uh, and we talked about all that stuff. So I don't know. We might have to dig back into it. It's always just yeah. like every time I go to a new therapist or like I'm always digging right back into my childhood, you know? Yeah, same. It's like it never goes away. You're always like, because those are like the first things that ever happened to you that set the ball rolling for, the, you know, for a lot of the stuff and the way that you work, you know, your mind. Your childhood affects so much. Yeah. I've been in therapy like most of my life and I like I'm circling back to things that I like I feel like I've already I, I can't talk about that anymore. I'm so over it, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it always comes back. Are you into attachment theory at all? Have you ever looked into that? Uh-uh. Uh, I heard about this thing called uh, trauma bond. Yes. Have you heard of that? Yes. Just the concept of trauma bonding. Yeah. Just yeah. like my therapist laid it on me. I mean, I've done, I've been around mental health for, you know, most of my life. And I don't know why. I'm, I guess I've heard of it. I just never thought of, you know. I think it's something I'm more weary of. I see it all the time on like mental health Instagram pages, yeah. actually. But yeah, just I mean, the concept I, of I read it. this like article and I read this book on the way here up on the bus about it. And it's like, damn, I've been on both sides of this, you know, in some form or fashion, always. So, You're very self-aware. Yeah, I work on it. I mean, that's good. I just feel like in my world that I live in, like I'm always like constantly like being told no, you know, up until Dig Down in Dallas, you know, my music career was a joke, you know, like. I mean, I, when I went home on Thanksgiving or, you know, Christmas, people are like, you still doing that music thing, boy? You know, you going to get a real job? You know, or like all my, you know, all my friends and stuff that are talking about their fucking 401ks and, you know, all that stuff. So, like, up until that, at this point, it hasn't really been a real success story, you know? So I feel like if you're constantly being told no or that's not good enough, like, you constantly having to look at yourself and constantly having to rebuild, you know, like go back and redefine everything, you know? So like, I don't know. I feel like AA, I went to AA. That's how I got sober. We'll get into that. But it kind of taught me to do that, you know, just to 
constantly be self-aware. And sometimes it's, it's not always a good thing for me. I've taught myself and my brain how to always just look at my part. What can I change? And a lot of times I, I'm too hard on myself, if that makes sense. You yes. Know? So I'm self-aware, but, you know, I'm fucked up too. So. Pros and cons, yeah. yeah. I have my nighttime routine down to a T. I have become a nighttime routine girl over a morning routine girl. It has really just made the biggest difference. There is nothing like getting into bed and I have the complete vibe of the room just completely right. Something that I've actually been incorporating into my nighttime routine in the past couple of months is Papa and Barkley. So if you guys didn't know, Papa and Barkley creates award-winning CBD solutions for pain, stress, sleep, and everyday wellness. And unlike less effective CBD brands, they have an unmatched, clean, chemical-free whole plant process with proven results. This time of year is always really stressful for me. I've also been like implementing new workout routines and stuff. So I've just been stressed and I've needed CBD. There's been a lot of talks about the benefits of CBD, but it was really hard to find a reliable product. I felt like they didn't really do enough. And Papa and Barkley has really saved the day. They have these sleep cannabis infused relief gummies and they're amazing. It helps me just get to sleep and also have a lot better sleep. I can easily stay up all night stressing out and overthinking and this has really helped. The founder, Adam Grossman, created the groundbreaking relief balm to ease his father's debilitating back pain. From that wonderful homemade balm, Papa and Barkley has expanded to a full line of topical balms, oils, tinctures, and capsules all made with 100% natural clean ingredients in whole plant, full spectrum CBD. Today, they're the number one cannabis wellness company in California with their new CBD relief line. They can ship nationwide. Their CBD relief balm delivers hours of comfort with simple plant-based ingredients and an at-home use test with over 300 participants. Users reported a 40% reduction in daily discomfort in just one week of using the balm. Papa and Barkley is on a mission to improve lives through CBD in its purest, cleanest form possible. Go to papaandbarkleycbd.com slash I love you for 20% off your first purchase. That's 20% off for new customers at P-A-P-A and B-A-R-K-L-E-Y-C-B-D.com slash I love you. Again, that is papaandbarkleycbd.com slash I love you for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Dom Roberts, a designer, creative, and activist living in Los Angeles. This is The Uncomfortable Podcast, a show where I speak with new friends, fellow activists, and guests all united and passionate about different injustices or just generally uncomfortable topics. It's time to dig deep into the human experience, and that's on period. It's all love. Let's get uncomfortable. Let's go into AA and your sobriety. Like, can you just take us through that process? Yeah. So after my my mom and my stepdad got divorced, we moved from like, I grew up in Vestavia. So it's like fucking suburbs, you know, it's like super nice. But we moved from that part of town, same city, same school, didn't have chain schools, but to like the poor side of town, which is not that poor, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was a big deal to me. And I think that's the, you know, the deal that I'm getting at. So we moved over there. We like lived in this townhouse and I didn't have any of my friends. And I'll just never forget, like, I believe that this is when my isolation began. You know, it's like, I remember just like every day, like I would just like be riding my bike and I would just like throw it down and just cry. I just felt so alone, you know. But one day I was in this video store. It was like, it's called Hollywood Video. It was like, 
Like Blockbuster? Yeah, like Blockbuster okay. or whatever. I see my friend from my old neighborhood in there. I'm like, what's up, dude? And he was like, man, I'm just in here renting a movie with my mom. He was like, we're we're moving over here. So, like, he moved over there, and I had my best friend back, and, you know, we started skateboarding. And then I have a sister two years older than me. I actually have stepbrothers and all that stuff, but my sister lived with us. And it's very shadowy. I don't know if I buried a lot of stuff in my mind or whatever, but I remember nights of just, like, being in my house and waking up and, like, the cops being there or, like, basically my sister was, like, doing drugs and cussing out my mom, you know? Yeah. And then, but I just remember being like, I'll never do drugs, you know? Like, look what it's done to my family and my mom and all that stuff. And um, I was hanging out with my friends, my friend that from my old neighborhood. His name's Frankie. He's my best friend. We've, we're still friends to this day. Like, anything I've ever been through in my life, um, he's always been there. And it's actually funny. My agent that books my shows at, at WME, him and my best and my best friend are like first cousins. Oh, really? Yeah. And it just Small like world. happened like it was total freak accident. So yeah. but anyways, we're me and Frankie are hanging out. We start making other friends. We're like skateboarding and all this stuff. We're like smoking cigarettes and like, you know, just rebellious stuff. And um I'll never forget like I said, well, I'm not going to do drugs, but I can drink because, you know, normal people drink. My parents drink. And the first time I ever got drunk, I, it was it was a very important day of my life. I remember everything, like, down to what I was wearing and what I ended up not wearing that night. You know, I ended up, like, in my underwear walking down the street because I couldn't tell my dad how to come get me. I was to pick me up at the Pizza Hut in my whitey tighties, you know. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, 13. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, real young. When I took that first sip of alcohol, things changed for me, and it just changed who I was as a person. I feel like it was like I found that thing that was always missing, you know? That's all I could think about. Like, school, it was like, whose older brother's going to buy me beer, you know? Or, like, how am I going to get alcohol, you know? And the first time I ever got drunk, I drank nine beers. My buddy drank eight, and then the kid that drank four beers got sick and threw up, and you know, for the longest time, I blamed it on him for throwing up because I smelled his throw up. That's why I got sick. Not because I drank nine beers, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so so I did that. And then, um, you know, I got in a little bit of trouble, but not really. You know, I, I cried my way out of I learned how to manipulate early on. And I was just like, in the back of my mind, I was like, as soon as I can get away with that again, I'm going to do it. You know, I mean, it just became like an every weekend thing. You know, anytime I could get away with it, I got drunk. And for me, getting drunk was like throwing up was just part of it, you know, for a long time. But anyway, so we rock on for a little while. And then I was like, well, I mean, I guess I could smoke some pot. It's not that big of a deal, you know. And then I smoked pot. And then that's just kind of how my alcoholism and addiction progressed. It was like, well, I said I wouldn't do pills, but let's do some pills, you know. And then when I got into ninth grade, I started selling drugs. And that's when everything just kind of went crazy. I dropped out in ninth grade. I did homeschool for a year. Went back to high school in 10th grade. And then I did pretty well. And then 10th grade summer, I did a bunch of like acid and mushrooms, hallucinogenics, you know. And then uh, I went back to school and my brain was just like fried. And then I had a drug deal gone bad in my house. One of my good friends got beat up really bad, and the cops found out, and the school found out, and all that stuff. And uh, 
at that point I got pretty good at running, you know, just like screw this, I'm out. So I uh I dropped out and stayed out and um went to military school for a little while. I got hopped up on cocaine one night and I called my dad. I was like, Dad, this would be a great idea, man. Let's go to military school, get my life together, you know. <laughs> and uh I go to military school. I had like by the time I was seventeen, I had a felony DUI felony, marijuana, possession, cocaine. I mean, I had like three felonies. It was crazy. So I went to military school. The day after my court stuff got thrown out, I got kicked out of military school. So here I am. I'm coming home. You know, ain't got no court stuff on my back. My parents, I'm not welcome at home, but they like bought me this apartment. And that was one thing that like finally made me get it together. My parents stopped loving me to death. You know, they finally quit bailing me out of trouble. But when I, I got this apartment and then I went to, after that, I went to Tuscaloosa because all my friends were going to school down there. And uh, I ended up getting arrested again down there. And I'll never forget being in jail. And I was in there for like 30 days and you get your turn to call. You know, you get your phone call. I don't, I don't I doubt you've ever been to jail, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> you everybody gets a phone call and I call. I mean, I go to the phone and like, I just want to call one person in my life that could just tell me for once that I was like a good person or did something good. And I'll just never forget that feeling in my stomach. It's just, there was nobody to call because I'd screwed everybody over. You know, it was a terrible feeling. But even still, when I got out of there, I got drunk again, you know, and I went crazy for another three months. And then finally I called my mom and I said, mom, I'm ready to get help. But at this point, you know, I wasn't welcome at home. I would couch surf and people would like kick me out of there, you know? So it was like, I finally at 19 was willing enough to, you know, do whatever I needed to, to, you know, get my life together. And I didn't know anything about alcoholism or really anything about life, you know? And I remember going to treatment thinking, hell, if I can just go here for a little while, learn to drink responsibly, I'll get me another apartment in Tuscaloosa and Rotad, baby, you know, <laughs> and uh, that just that just didn't work out. So I was in treatment. I'm just going to keep going here with the story yeah, if you want going, me to. Keep going. So I was in treatment and I'm there and, you know, I didn't like get up when they told me to or really do anything that, you know, that they suggested. Other what than, did they ask you to do in treatment? Well, like, you have to get up early and you have to like share and like do all this stuff and like I don't know I ain't you know I ain't talking about my feelings that's weird you know (laughs) but uh anyways it took me a couple of days but I'll never forget it's pretty cool in treatment they do this thing where there's like it's the group of you know the cottage mates or whatever there's a counselor here and there's a counselor here and these people start sharing about their lives and this guy starts talking about his dad and how him and his dad aren't that close and, you know, all this stuff. And he's just telling my story, you know, like I've heard it. He's telling my story word for word, and I don't even know this guy, you know. And I don't know what it was that day. I cried like I haven't cried in years. Like I'm not talking about like cry to like get, you know, attention or get something that I wanted or whatever, like real cry, like snot, boogers flying everywhere, you know. and. I don't know. That was like a day where I just realized that, wow, I really got to like do something different here. You know, like if I get out of here and, you know, if I do what I always done, I'm going to get what I've always gotten. 
right, guys, as we know, the holidays are coming up and I have something that is going to save your life during the holiday season. Today, we are talking about Newly. I use Newly. It is a subscription rental clothing service. I love it. The bright pink vest you guys have been seeing me wear. There's this really cute free people jacket that's like $350. So I'm obviously only wearing it because it's my Newly subscription I have been dying for, okay? Anyways, with the holidays comes a ton of events, a ton of just like holiday season things as well as, you know, Christmas shopping. So it gets a little bit overwhelming, which is why you guys all need Newly. It is a monthly clothing rental subscription. You are able to get your choice of any six styles you want to rent each month. You choose whatever you want for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. You have access to thousands of styles from more than 300 brands, everything from party dresses to premium denim and one of a kind vintage pieces. Newly stock styles in a range of sizes from petite to plus size up to 5X plus maternity. They also carry labels like for Love and Lemons, Love Shack Fancy, which I'm obsessed with and it's very pricey, Free People Anthropology and more. They have fast free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. So that's no laundry for you to worry about. Guys, it just gets better, okay? So for the holidays, Newly is the perfect place to get all of your holiday outfits out of the way in one go. With six items to choose from and the option to add two bonus items, you can get Friendsgiving, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, the office holiday party, Christmas, New Year's, and any other event you've got going on covered with just one bag. It's also really flexible, so there are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So no big deal if you lose a button, spill some mold wine, or just need to take a break after the holidays. Your life needs to flex, and it newly gets it. Renting through Newly means getting to wear way more, sometimes thousands of dollars worth of clothing while spending way less. It's a win-win for your closet and your checking account. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code I love you 20. Just go to newly in com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code I love you 20 at sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's with code I love you 20 Newly subscription, clothing rental, change your clothes. Guys, I am obsessed. You will be as well. It's going to save you during the holiday season. Okay, again, that is Newly, N-U-U-L-Y.com. Use code I love you 20 Me and my dad's relationship was screwed up because of my drug addiction and alcoholism. I mean, I, I like stole money from him. He sent me to that military school. I got kicked out, you know. I started to have that realization. And then I got a letter from my mom while I was in treatment that said, you can't come home until your court date or your sentencing. I was like, Ugh. You know, they've been trying to pitch me in this halfway house called uh, Teen Challenge. I read the pamphlet and they're like, you can't cuss, you can't smoke cigarettes. I was like, well, I'm just going to tell you right now, I ain't going to make it, you know? <laughs> they're going to kick me out second day. And uh, they told me about this place called Any Length Resources in Bessemer, Alabama. And uh, at this point in my life, I'd never, I grew up Church of Christ. Is and, that Christian? Yeah, okay. yeah. And like, I knew who God was, you know? I guess I believed in God, but like I never saw the necessity for a relationship with a higher power. Like I thought it was just something that you did with your family on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever, you know, I'll never forget at the end of the day, you circle up and you say the Lord's prayer, like the serenity prayer. And you do it like 10 times a day in treatment. I don't know. It's weird. Everybody in rehab finds Jesus, you know, like my, my roommate was like a preacher. And then I had this other guy, his name was Wayne. He was just like, always like, 
the good Lord this. And, like, everybody was like, if anybody's going to make it, it's going to be Wayne, you know, because he was just like Mr. Pro Recovery. After prayer one day, Wayne and my roommate approached me and was like, man, we were just kind of noticing how, like, you know, after your, uh, after prayer, how you how you just don't say the prayers or anything like that. We were just wondering what's up with you, you know? I was like, uh, I don't know the prayers because I never knew them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. We did this thing where, like, we went in the room and, like, we held hands and, like, we read the Bible. And then he was like, repeat after me, you know? And uh, and Wayne is, like, over there the whole time going, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, <laughs> Jesus, amen. And I was like, Wayne, dude, you're going to have to chill out. I can't, I can't even think of what this guy's saying. I'm just trying to do this. So we did that. That was an odd experience. I don't know why I told that story, but I was guess that the it Lord's was, Prayer? Uh, no, it's just like, I guess, what, however you get saved whatever. or whatever, yeah, you okay. ask the Lord into your heart. Yeah. But I don't know if that meant anything, you know? I mean, it meant something to me. It was sincere. I wanted, I was, that was my first time of ever to like trying to reach something spiritual or something, you know, in the sky or something other than beyond myself, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I remember going back to my room that night and just being like, well, I don't know if that meant anything, but the next day I woke up and I was like, um, there was no burning bush or anything like yeah. that, you know. But the next day I woke up and I was like, fuck, I leave here in two days. I got to figure out where I'm going. And I shared about it in group. I started opening it up. And uh, somebody said to me, was like, have you tried praying about it? And I was like, no. Nah. You know, so I went in my room. At this point, I'm still, you know, skeptic of the whole thing. I'm just like, God, I don't know if you're real or, you know, if I'm just sitting here and talking to walls. But. I really need some fucking help. I don't know where I'm going. Like, if you could just help me, that would be awesome. I got up off my knees. I went to my counselor's door. I knocked on the door. and said, Trey, I was just about to come get you. We got to call this guy down here in ALR. I called the guy. His name's Robbie Keeble. He's a, he saved my life. And uh, he picked me up from He said, I'll be there to pick you up from rehab. He picked me up. He took me to the halfway house. He put me in the smaller one because he didn't want me to be in the big community. I had an old friend at the at the other place, and I got to this sober living, and there was a bunch of other guys there that were way older than me. And at first, you know, I've, I've always kind of been, I was like, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I was, I'm 19 years old. I didn't smoke crack or do a lot of those crazy things that they were talking about on the detox porch, you know, at rehab. I probably can just like live here, go to some meetings and I don't need to get a sponsor or work steps or anything like that. So eventually I got to a point to where I was calling all my friends in Tuscaloosa being like, man, I get 30 days here soon. We'll come down there. We're going to get drunk and then we'll come back. We're not going to tell anybody, you know? Well, I use drugs and I drank alcohol every day. Like it was nonstop and to obsess about it and not be able to do it for 30 days is a long time for somebody like me, you know? And I'll never forget reaching that point. And I always say this, that it was my, my sobriety because I definitely wasn't sober. I was just dry. Just reaching that point of mental exhaustion of just like, it was my breaking point. It was my bottom, you know? And I remember walking into the guy that ran the sober living. His name was Steve. And I said, Steve, uh, man, I think I'm ready to do whatever it takes to like if I need to get a sponsor or whatever the hell y'all are telling me, because I keep having this plan to go down to Tuscaloosa and get drunk with my friends. He's like this old guy. He's like, you're either going to do this or you're going to pack your shit and get the fuck out of here. 
I was like, well, man, I, I really want to do it, you know. And he, like, tore a piece of paper off and wrote this number down. He's like, this guy's name's Nick. Call him. He's your sponsor. Man, I called that guy, and, you know, we started working the steps, and we got all the way to, like, step nine, you know, where you go back and, and apologize or, where, you know, make your amends, and uh, he relapsed. Wow. So that was a very pivotal moment in my, my sobriety. I'll never forget. I was six months sober, and I also heard don't get in a relationship in your first year of recovery or, like, at least don't have sex with anybody until you're – you know, work past your night step. Or is it people worked, in general or is it people that you met in rehab? It's people like, in general. Okay, got it. So I know people that have followed that advice. I know people that haven't. I don't think it makes a difference either way. You know, it's just how much can you take mentally? You know what I mean? Yeah. What are your What are your intentions? You know what I mean? Like if that's some, if sex is something that triggers you, then, you know, it's like probably yeah. not something you need to do. But anyways, my mind heard was, is all you got to do is work the steps and then you can go have sex. So like, I was six months sober. I'd worked all, I'd worked the first nine steps. Like I was good, but like I started chasing women like crazy, you know, and, and not that I found any contenders yet, but like I was trying, you know, putting in a uh, good effort. Yeah. I was putting in a good effort. I knew this girl from back in the day of Impel city and and we were hanging out and, uh, I'd kind of quit going to meetings. I had this big book study that I'd been doing for like nine months that I'd kind of quit going to. Then I'll never forget, like, me and that girl hooked up. I can talk about that on here, right? Yeah. And I was, like, too pump chump. I mean, it was, like, <laughs> it was embarrassing, you know? <laughs> but I yeah. just remember the feeling of actually just feeling so empty inside, not, yeah. you know, I mean, literally, and you know, but <laughs> I just remember, like, leaving there and, like, I remember sitting in my car and looking down at my six-month, you know, my key tag and thinking, I was like, damn, right now would be a perfect time to get high, you know? Or I could just go back to that meeting that I've been going to and, you know, get that toothless guy that I met a few weeks ago to be my sponsor. My second sponsor had like three teeth when I met him, but he had all his teeth by the time, you know. Yeah. So I drove back as fast as I could to Birmingham and went to that meeting. I went in there and talked to that guy, asked him to be my sponsor. And that's when I really like dug into the program of AA. And that's really when I like finished my steps. I started sponsoring other men. Me and my sponsor, we'd go to up to Bradford every night, every Monday night. We would take a meeting up there. And, you know, I'll sponsor like five, six guys at a time and several meetings a week, going to treatment centers to speak, just on fire for my recovery. And, and, and that's when I really started to grow the most. But I, when I was about nine months sober, I bought a guitar. I moved out of the halfway house. I lived with my dad for a little while. You know, I, I mentioned before that me and my dad's relationship was screwed up and that relationship came together and I lived with my dad for about six months and then I got my own place and me and my dad were super close. My dad died when I was 26 of a massive heart attack. So we had seven years of best friendship, you know, and I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. But when he died, that caused some trauma and, you know, I've had to deal with that over the years. I mean, that was, that was a tough time. I mean, just somebody die like out of the blue, you know, my dad dying was was like the start of a lot of people dying in my life. But um, back to my sobriety. So I'm like, I got my own place. Um, I've got a job. I'm making smoothies. I'm playing guitar for fun. Just a hobby, you know. I'm going back and forth to Nashville to like record some songs. Nothing, nothing too serious. Just knew a guy that had a studio up there. But it, it started the, you know, 
the dream, you know? Yeah. I'll never forget. I was up, I had a sponsee that was in a rock and roll band and he knew this guy that had a studio in Nashville. And I was up, I was kind of being like his, his sponsor, just going with him. And, uh, his producer asked me to play something. I played one of my terrible songs and I sang, he's like, dude, you got a hell of a voice. And I was like, thanks man. Well, he called me a few weeks later and was like, man, if you come up to Nashville, I'll record your EP for free and we'll try to get your record deal, whatever. So I was like, talked to my family about it. I went back and got my GED and I was taking some college classes. I got the job at Bradford Treatment Center. Life was going good, you know? So like I had to really ask my family, like, do you think this is a cool thing to do? Go up here. They were like, fuck yeah, do it, you know? But like that was the first time in my life that I actually had some stability that I built you know, yeah. myself. So, like, it was scary for me to, like, make that move, you know? If you're a fan of romantic movies and love films with beautiful cinematography, then you are going to love Redeeming Love in theaters January 2022. Based on the international best-selling novel by Francine Rivers, the movie takes place during the California gold rush of 1850, and follows the life of Angel, who was the most notoriously sought-after woman in the Sierra Nevada foothills, town of paradise. Right as she was about to give up on finding freedom, Angel meets Michael and encounters a love that's unlike anything she's ever experienced. But shame of her past causes Angel to run away from the very thing she's always wanted. As Michael sets out to find her, Angel discovers there is no brokenness that love can't heal. That's so inspiring. Redeeming Love featuring Abigail Cohen, Nina Dobrev, Eric Dane, and Famke Jansen is rated PG-13 and premieres January 21st in theaters nationwide. So bring a friend or even your significant other to see Redeeming Love. For more information or to find tickets to a theater near you, visit redeeminglovemovie.com. That's redeeminglovemovie.com. Do you feel like before with you know, using alcohol, drugs, whatever it was, it felt like you were almost like not even just running from problems, but just trying to avoid them at all costs. Of course. Do you feel like once you got sober and then you started in music that that was like a different way of like channeling once you had obviously grown so much emotionally of like yeah. channeling your emotions? Oh, for sure. And it yeah. still is, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm lucky in a sense to have um, several outlets today. You know, wait, what are your other ones? Well, my other outlet is I have the inventory process that AA, AA gives me, you know, and I can use that to like deal with things in a healthy manner, you know, see my part. Where was I selfish? Where was I dishonest? Where was I can in, inconsiderate? What can I do better? Do I need to apologize to this person? Do I need to do this? You know, if you're like 16 year old self heard you saying this stuff now, yeah. Would you ever have believed that that would be you now? No, because I mean, I'm from the South, you know, yeah. and, and men don't talk about their problems. You Which know? is why I like really wanted to have you on because yeah. I can tell you, I mean, you talking about this, honestly, I know people that I'm like, that's the road that I see. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad. Like I've dealt with mental health so much, but I think, you know, mental health is a taboo topic regardless. Yeah. Girls just typically, not to generalize, but girls just typically open up easier and talk more about their feelings and guys don't. And then the only time I think a guy really does is like with someone where he's like romantically involved with at some point. Yeah. And it's scary. Like, what would you tell someone who's like in their 20s, drinking way too much, avoiding all their problems? Like, what would you say to them now? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a hard thing. I mean, the only reason, I mean, then this might sound screwed up, but the only reason I am the way I am is because I screwed up my life so much. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm grateful for it. You know what I mean? Like 
the awareness that I have now and the things I have to process, the emotions, I'm grateful for them. But I don't know, you know, I had to get to a certain point to where I was like, I can't live like this. Yeah. You know? So if somebody's at that point, you know, or they feel like they can't live that way, you know, then there's always options out there. You know, there's people like me to talk to and, you know, I'm not somebody, I'm not special or anything, you know, everybody's, you know, there's plenty of people out there to talk to, you know, and, and a lot of the times all you have to do is just hear yourself talk. I mean, even today I'll be driving down the road and I'll just have a conversation with God. And then I have this realization that what I'm stressing out about ain't even something to stress out about. Sometimes, you know, if you don't want to talk to somebody, you can just journal, you know, and like sometimes all that stuff just comes out. But I think it's the effort of actually trying to do something different from what you're doing. Do you think you even knew the problems that you were facing or trying to not face during that time? Like, did you know actively that you were trying to run away or you were trying to not deal with like a divorce or whatever it was like heartbreak or whatever that might be or did it take like getting sober to realize that like oh these actually hurt me a lot worse than I thought it took me actually getting sober a lot of my childhood stuff I didn't never really I mean there was things that happened in my childhood you know I mean I when I was molested when I was younger and I didn't even remember that until I was like two or three years sober yeah you know so there's like a lot of things that I kind of blocked out you know but as far as like divorce goes I did that shit sober you know, mm-hmm. I got married sober. I got divorced sober. You know, I, I mentioned my my dad died. My grandmother died. My stepdad that pretty much raised me died. You know, I had a stepson when I was married. I'm not in his life anymore. You know, so I've had to deal with shit sober that's been just as hard as dealing with, you know, if I was drunk or not. You yeah. Know? If alcohol was still a coping mechanism, I would definitely not be here, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing is that I feel like drugs and alcohol worked for me for a little while until they didn't, you know? It's a really cool story. I also just, again, like that you're so open about it because there's not many men I feel like who are. I mean, I know there are, but yeah. not as much, yeah. you know? I definitely have a, like a few like go-to friends that I can really, really dig yeah. in there with and really talk to. I have this one friend that I've known for some years. Um, actually sponsored him to get sober, but now we're just like friends. We mm-hmm. just have dinner every now and then or talk, but we can just go for hours just on just like how deep it really gets, you know? Yeah, that's uh, really cool. It, it's really cool, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, to be able to talk about your feelings or like really just own up to like things that you're doing. That's it's- a lot of the times is like a lot of people don't want to own up to their weaknesses, you know? Yeah. And also like makes you human. It makes you a lot like your relationships can get a lot deeper. Yeah. I want to talk about music. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier how you felt like you've just gotten so many no's and you're at home. People are like, oh, you're still doing that music thing. Like what kept you going, you know, before like Dick Down and Dallas blew up? What was like your driving force at that time? I just loved it. How many uh, years was it too? Give us like an actual timeline. Okay, cool. So my dad always told me, he said, son, I'm an accountant. I hate my job. Do what you love. Mm-hmm. And he used to always say, too, I just know music's going to work out for you. Just always do it, no matter what. So there's a lot of that plays in it. My daddy issues play into it a little bit. But uh, the other part that plays into it is that I just love it. You know, I remember getting sober and picking up that guitar, and I knew how to play a G chord and just playing it downstairs in my dad's basement and like 
there's no way other way to explain it. Like it felt like a drug and maybe it is, you know, and it just made me feel something in my soul other than I just, I just straight up love it. I mean, we, you know, I've had the same band. I've had the same guitar player and drummer. My drummer's been there for five. My guitar player's been there for eight. And I mean, you know, we played four hour cover gigs for four hours straight, four nights a week. And, you know, I took a lot of pride in that. And I think the thing is, is that I just stuck with it because I knew that I didn't know if it would ever work out, but I knew that I loved it enough at the level that I was doing it at. If that was all I ever did, then I was okay with that. And I remember I was riding in my van, the white van that's in Dick Down. That's really my car. Mm-hmm. I was riding in my white van and I was talking to God one morning. I said, God, if all you ever want me to do is is write songs with my friends and play cover gigs on the weekends, then I'm fine with that. That's what I want. That's what I'll do. But fuck you. That's what, you know, that's what I told him. I was like, I said, wouldn't it be cool just to have a little bit of success to show people that if you never give up, that, you know, things work out. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, but that's all I'm saying. You I'm know? Gonna get it me, but like, but... that's how I talk to God because yeah. I mean, it's just like, and people might say, say that screwed up, but like, it's God, not. God knows us best. You know, yeah. how, how are you going to talk to something or somebody that, that knows you best? And you you're going to fake it. And you're going to fake it, yeah. you know? And, and I mean, I've, I've done that, you know, I've, you know, I've gone through times where I didn't pray at all, you know, in my sobriety, um, years, you know, so now I just get honest with them, you know, and, and I think that that's the biggest thing is it's just like just honesty and being transparent, not with everybody, but people you trust, you know, Yeah. but I just stuck with it. And, uh, I'll never forget when that song came out and went number one at the top of my charts, surrounded by all my friends. I just went in my room. I just, I said, guys, I need a minute. Went in my room and I got on my knees. I said, God, I'll never question you again. I'm sorry. I mean, which I will question again. Yeah. Because, you know. But in the moment. But in the moment. If you are not familiar with Bloody Buddy Cups, let me introduce you to the best of the best for anyone with a period. By now, you guys have probably heard of menstrual cups and how amazing they are. So much cheaper, so much more convenient, so, so, so much more comfortable than pads and tampons. Maybe you've even tried one already, but you couldn't get the hang of it. Problem solved. The Bloody Buddy cup is so easy to use with just the right amount of structure to help the cups open easily every time. They're such a great option for beginners, experts, and anyone who wants a comfy, leak-free period. Bloody Buddy cups are amazing because they hold as much as three to five tampons, and they're made out of the highest-graded medical-grade silicone. So they're absolutely safe to leave in for up to 12 hours. Imagine working a full shift without switching out a pad or tampon. As if that wasn't enough, each cup lasts 10 years. That's right, you are covered for a decade without setting foot in the feminine hygiene aisle. Buddy Buddy Cup is a female-owned and operated business dedicated to giving all menstruators period freedom. They're also giving my listeners 10% off with the code I love you. You can follow them on Instagram at Bloody Buddy Cup for hilarious and educational content or visit their website, bloodybuddycup.com to learn more about what makes a Bloody Buddy Cup so amazing. And of course, to purchase your very own pack of Bloody Buddy Cups. I want to talk about like, when did you get the idea? What was the whole process of the song? When was yeah. it released? Like, I want the behind the scenes. Okay, well, let's get the whole backstory. So I used to play at this place in Auburn called Sky Bar. And... There's another bar there called Moe's. It's like Moe's Barbecue. My friend Matt McKinney 
which we weren't friends at the time, was playing at Moe's. And everybody knows that when you play Moe's, you walk to Sky Bar afterwards because Sky Bar is the littiest bar in Auburn, you know? <laughs> so I'm playing at Sky Bar and he walks in and I'm on stage changing the words to Big Green Tractor to the Big, the big Tally Whacker story. Uh-huh. And uh, he comes up, shakes my hand. He's like, I'm Matt. Nice to meet you, man. That was pretty funny. You know, whatever. All right, so I got a divorce in, I guess, 17 or whatever. When I was 30, I moved to Nashville because I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm 30 years old. I'm just going to, I'm going to try this Nashville thing out, see what happens. Who knows? I moved to Nashville and I met Revival one night. It's like this round that they have. It's like a church pew and people get up and play songs. And uh, Matt McKinney walks up to me. He's the, he's the guy from Skybar. He said, dude, I met you that night. You were changing the words to drink in my hand, to dick in my hand. Man, that was hilarious. Like, he was like one of the first, Five hands that I shook in Nashville, and me and him instantly became best friends. You know, we both write songs. We write with different people. We wrote together some. But one day, like, I guess like a year into it, he showed me the song that he wrote, like a verse and a chorus to called Dick Down in Dallas. And I was like, that's funny. Didn't think anything of it. Anyways, he ended up finishing it. So I'm not a writer on the song. It was Brent Gafford, Matt McKinney, and Drew Chosclair. They finished the song. And one day, like during quarantine, me, McKinney, and Mitch Wallace, and a few other people were going to, not that you know any of these people, but I'm just name dropping on your podcast, because <laughs> whatever, you know. But we go to Chili's, and we're coming back I from- I love Chili's. Right. Like, literally my favorite There's restaurant. I'm not here. kidding, yeah. Yeah, so we're fucking leaving Chili's, and uh, I was on uh, Busting with the Boys, and he was giving me shit for going to Chili's, but he was <laughs> like, whatever. I'm so I'm glad you like Chili's. Yeah. So we're leaving Chili's. And uh, we're listening to, like, the voice memo of Dick Down in Dallas. And I was just sitting there. I was like, you know, man, I've been putting out music since 2012, McKinney. Like, you know, McKinney grew up in the ministry. Like, he's never going to put that song out. The other songwriters in a, in a duo with his wife, Charlotte Pike, they've been on the road with us and stuff before, but they're never going to put out the song. And the other guy's just a guitar player. He's never going to put it out. I was like, dude, I've been putting out music since 2012. Nobody ever gave a shit. Fuck it, I'll put it out. So I go home and learn it. And and during quarantine, we weren't we couldn't go out to the bars anymore. So we all just hung out at each other's houses in Nashville, had bonfires, you know. I was playing around campfire. Well, Matt Burrill, my tour manager, which is now my tour manager, he has a podcast called In the Round Podcast, and they do a round in Nashville. And he was like, dude, I want you to come play In the Round. I want you to play your songs because your songs are awesome. But then at the end, I want you to play Dick Down in Dallas. So I get up there and play my songs. Played it down in Dallas. By this time, the whole our whole community knows the song because we've been hanging out at each other's houses. So Nikki T takes this video. He has raised Rowdy. It's like a platform for country music. He takes a video of it and puts it on Facebook. And then from there, Trey Bonner, the guy that does my film and, and stuff, my social media, gets it put on Caller Daddy's Facebook group. And then from Oh, the, I didn't even know it was on yeah, Caller Daddy. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. It's on our, on their Facebook like, page thing. And then from there, Matt McKinney got it put on Old Row. And then I started yeah. posting videos of it on TikTok. And then we went to the studio and recorded the song. And Trey Bonner came out and filmed some video. And we played. We did like a blind reaction for this guy that had heard the song in the studio. And I'll never forget, I was driving down to Huntsville to play a four-hour cover gig. And I posted the video on the way down there. And then... When I got done, the video had like 3 million views. That's insane. Yeah, on TikTok. And then we went and did the reaction videos where we just like 
which you can find those on YouTube, where we just walked up to people and like, I was like, hey man, can I play you this song? And then I'd play it for them. And there was this one where these guys were just like going crazy. They're like, oh, no, Dick Dan and Dally. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. It really is. It's just such a catchy song. Like yeah. you can't not like we were in Austin. We had like a girls weekend. And then my friends of four, like everyone had been playing that song. I honestly, until I asked you to come on the podcast, I didn't realize it had gone viral on TikTok. Yeah. I just thought it was a song my friend showed me. Like I didn't realize the back before I was prepping for this episode. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that was so fast. Yeah. Also, Call Her Daddy is a great plug. Yeah. We put the song out, came out December 1st. We went from no nut November to December 1st, you know? Yeah. And and it came out and there was like, I don't know, it was like 7,000 pre-downloads. So it like stayed at number one for like two weeks on the iTunes charts. Wow. We start this tour. We're touring like crazy. You know, I'm taking meetings with every agent, with every record label in Nashville and everything. Ended up not signing with any of them. So, Why do you not want to sign with a label? Uh, I do want to sign with okay. a label. I want to sign a label, though, based on who I am as an artist and not for one song. Because Got that it. song's never going to go to radio, you know? Yeah. I would rather own the master for that and keep all that money. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. You know, you have a podcast. You know all about the, yeah, the spins. Yeah. yeah. So I do own that master, and it's been very beneficial to me and the people surrounded, you know, that are in my camp. And uh, it's allowed me to do things that I wasn't ever able to do before as far as, like, putting more content out and, you know, having a team behind me and everything. So it's been nice. So I'm not anti-record label at all. I mean, my, one of my biggest dreams is to play the Grand Ole Opry and, have a number one song on the radio, but like, I'm not going to do it, you know, at the cost of giving somebody everything, you know what yeah. I mean? Of me going broke, not going to happen. Yeah, you know? I'm smart. And, and a lot of that is me being 33, almost 34 years old, you know? Wisdom. Yeah. Much smarter. I mean, that's game. why I'm like, you know, I remember when I first moved to Nashville, I was like, fuck, I'm 30, you know, all my friends are 21, 22, 23. I'm an old man playing a young man's game. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like, you know, I should have never got married, you know. Just, my whole life's been a waste, you know. I mean, I, I got sober and I fucked my whole life up, you know. And that's what I mean. That's really, you know, the kind of things that I thought a lot of the times, you know. And and then something like that happens and then your whole... Overnight. Overnight and your whole world changes. And it's like, oh, okay. So it, was, it wasn't all for nothing, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, it was actually for something. And uh, my one thing my sponsor used to tell me all the time, I'd call him freaking out about if I was going to get this gig or that gig or, you know, whatever. And he was like, man, just be patient. God's building you. God's building you. And that, I mean, that's true. I mean, that's what he was doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot older now than, than I was, you know, if I sign a contract and I'm seven years in, well, damn, I'll be 40 something by then, you know? So I feel like Nashville is signing songs right now because of the, world we're living in with social media. Like, social media is the greatest thing that ever happened for me. Do you think radio play matters still? Like, I, I know nothing. Like, does uh, that I matter so. over yeah. social or does social matter over radio? I think so. I mean, Matt Burrell, my tour manager, would say radio is going away, but I think it's still, still, matters. still a thing. Yeah, it's definitely still a thing. I mean, I want to be on a tour with a major artist, you know. And, What's your and dream tour? I don't, I don't know. I mean. Do you have, like, a dream collaboration? I don't. I just want my own tour. I want to sell out yeah. arenas myself. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that's my dream thing. And then like bring up people that I believe in. You know what I mean? Have people like like we do now. Like we had Stephen Paul out with us. He's one of our good buddies from Nashville. Like 
You know, we brought them to Texas with us for three days, you know. Like, we're not playing arenas or anything, but we're playing in front of people, and that gets his music in front of people. Like, I do that with, there's this other girl. Her name's Ella Langley. I don't know if you've heard of her. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, she's my roommate. She had a song go viral on TikTok recently. It actually came out last night. Wait, what song is it? It's called Hate Me If You Have To. But anyways, like, I'll bring her out on the road. I'll bring a lot of, you know, pe- just people that I believe in that I think are awesome, bring them out on the road and, and let them play for, you know, how many ever people we're playing for. And that's like my dream is is just to like eventually get to a point to where, you know, at whatever level we can do it is that I can bring up people that are that are around me and, and people that have been with me from the very get go. You know, loyalty yeah. is is a big part of who I am and everything. So Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah, on the show. For sure. You were such a great guest. You have such an interesting life, but also, I don't know, I just think another thing I was going to say was when you were saying like, oh, I wasted away my life. I'm 30 now, whatever. I love listening to any podcast where it's someone who's like even in their 40s talking about how they had no idea what they were doing even at 30 because there's so much of a pressure to feel like you have to have everything figured out at like literally 18 these days. So it's like really refreshing when people come in and they're like, hey, it actually did work out. And I, you know, messed up here, I messed up here, but I figured it out. So it's actually really encouraging. Yeah. Just keep throwing shit at the wall. Eventually it all makes sense. Yep. That's my advice. Okay. So where can they find you? Uh, Trey Lewis Music on Instagram and Twitter's at Trey Lewis Music. And then we changed, uh, I think, Facebook and all that. It's just Trey Lewis. Um, But my TikTok is at Trey Lewis Music. Um, My website, TreyLewisMusic.com. Um, we have all kinds of Dick Down in Dallas merchandise on there. I actually just put out a song about mental health. It's called Little Tired. If you buy one of those T-shirts, $15 of it goes to um, a treatment center in Alabama called Turning Point. So we have merchandise and our tour dates and all that stuff on the, on the website. So. Amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Be sure to go check Trey out. Tag us in your Instagram stories. Go stream his music. Hope you guys had the best week ever. I hope you're about to have the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say fabulous. Most fabulous weekend. Sure. Why not? That feels very, um, there was a moment when I was actually trying to bring that word back. I don't know why I did that. But anyways, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I love you guys so much. And I'll talk to you next Thursday. 